0: You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praycc.org. Be blessed today. I mean, uh, I tell you, I just, quick story. I was driving home Friday from Minneapolis, went up for a hockey game, and I was reading the weather, and I'm like, I don't want to be driving home Saturday night. I got to preach on Sunday morning, potentially bitter winds. And so it was a good idea. I left. So I'm driving through Minneapolis, and it's up on the north side I'm, and then I get to the south side of Minneapolis and it's still pretty good then I get down to Northfield and I got to pull over and get gas and it starts it's just starting to snow but it's still light out and I get to the casino here up north of town and it's dark and I can't see anything and people it's just crazy right so my good decision was I'm here but I just made this decision, I thought that would be for the best, but when I, when I was in the car driving, I'm like, this was a bad idea, I should have done this earlier, or something else. But, you know, but I'm praying my whole way home, you know, like, God's probably going, I gave you a storm warning, like, three days ago, <laughs> you should have listened to me. And so, but it's one thing is, it's like, sometimes we get into those storms, and you just... Be honest with you. Just for what Pastor Jeff talked about last night, when you get into that storm of life, it's just know that God's with you. And then I, I was seriously, I was praying, I was talking to Him, and I was just saying, you know what? I'm going to get home tonight. I'm going to see my family. I got to preach the good news on Sunday, and you know, and I'm glad I'm here. And but it's so just, just to know that, like, just to know that what Pastor Jeff talked about last week about those storms is, is, uh, he's there with us. You know, and sometimes as we get to the Christmas season, I think it's more stressful on people sometimes, because they're more concerned about trying to do all these great things for people, and they tack on too many things in their life, and they get overwhelmed. And Christmas turns into an awful experience. You're like, you, there's somebody sitting here right now that's going, I can't believe that that so-and-so aunt, uncle, brother is coming to my house for Christmas. I haven't talked to him in like 10 years. Here's your opportunity. Just to love on them and show them the grace of God. And, then, and so I want you to know that this time of year is a special time of the year. It shouldn't be stressful. It should be fun. And so if, if Christmas is stressing you out, then we need to go back and realize, what's the meaning of Christmas? And it's so simple to realize that Jesus came, God in the flesh, born, and, and the whole story begins from there. I mean, the whole Bible is a whole story, but God's redemption for us starts when I look at it in that in that in that story of redemption, in a manger, the birth. It actually starts before that when 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 Joseph gets and, and married here from God. But uh, so Christmas is a great time of year. Christmas is to be celebrated as Christians. It's a reminder that God came in the flesh. A baby born like the rest of us. God could have come to earth any way he chose. Think about the way God he could have just showed up at the age 33 and a half, one day in the town there and said, I am Jesus the Messiah, but he didn't. He came the way the whole Bible had told us he would come. It was prophesied many times in the Bible who Jesus would come from, where he would come from. I have a list of them there for you. In Genesis, uh, he, was said, he said he was going to be born in Bethlehem. It says that in Micah 5 two. He would descend from the line of Abraham, Genesis 12, 3. From Isaac's line, Genesis 17, 9. He'd come out of Jacob's family, Numbers 24, 17. He was to be born of a woman, it says in Genesis three fifteen. We see that story right there after they, right after Adam and Eve sin. He, he says he's going to have a way out for them. Uh, he's born to a virgin in Isaiah 7.14. If you want to see some Jesus in the Bible, read Isaiah. It's amazing. He would, be, he would descend from David's throne, it says. He'd be from the tribe of Judea. And, and one we always know is that he would be called Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah, and that's in Isaiah as well. And so we can see that Jesus had to come as a baby. He had to be born, because if he didn't, then the whole Bible, the, the whole Old Testament prophecies wouldn't have made any sense. But he came exactly the way it was written. Written by man, inspired by God, put down on paper, passed on by word of mouth throughout the years, that this Savior, Jesus, would be born at a, at a, in a certain town by a certain type of a woman, a virgin. He would descend out of this line. He'd be from this tribe. And so when you read through those different prophecies and then you see Jesus born, it's like, yeah, we get it, don't we? But we've had years and years and years and years, some of us, and years for some more, to be able to understand about this stuff. But you're going to see a story where, uh, where Jesus comes and he steps into the temple. We're, gonna, we're talking Luke 4 here in a minute. And they've known him for a long time, but he proclaims who he is. You thought I was this, which I was for this many years, but this is who I really am. And it goes from there. And so I've been studying over the past few weeks, why did Jesus come? And it's not a question out of doubt. I just wanted to know the reasons why he's here, all the good reasons. And if you look through your, your Bibles and you read some, some of the prophecy and you read some of uh the Gospels, and what Paul says, he shows you in there why Jesus was born. He gives you good reasons. He tells you, and it's all for us. It's for our benefit why he was born. And so one of my favorite scriptures that I may come attached to the last couple of weeks is, is Matthew one twenty one, and it says this, An angel appeared to Joseph, and he told him that Mary would give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. You can close the Bible there right now if you, if, you, if you don't understand. That's why Jesus came. One of the reasons. But that's the reason why he spoke to Joseph. This, it was so important that Joseph was going to help raise, this, raise Jesus that God spoke to him in the form of an angel in a dream and said, this is your son, Jesus. You've got to name him that because he's going to save the people from his sins. So right away we can see if you're caught in sin or you feel like you're, people are holding those, those things against you, it's Jesus was born for you and for me to save us from those problems, from our sins. And he did so uh, by, by bringing us back into right relationship with God, the, the first step there, what Adam and Eve lost. And you know that, I've talked about that before. And before, get this, before Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, think about this. He grew up like everybody else. He skinned his knee. I mean, his mom had to change his diaper. Think about that. He just didn't, all of a sudden, Mary just didn't go... There's the baby, and then 30 years later, Jesus is starting his ministry. He was a kid. Like, we had little kids in here. He was just like Josiah. Think about that. Jesus was just like Josiah. That's off. (laughs) He was just like him. He was just like all your kids or your grandkids. Probably had some problems. Probably needed to be disciplined. Probably had to be going to time out once in a while. You know? So when our kids mess up, you know, just look at it and go, man, Jesus was a baby one time. I think i I give, him, I'd give him some little grace and mercy for, for, for my kid at, at times, or my grandkids, or my, my nieces and stuff like that. And so, as we later found out, Jesus found out who he was in Scripture. Think about that. When Jesus was looking through the Bible, because he, was, he knew who he was, but then he saw who he was in the Bible and what he was called to do. You know, he studied, and he studied. You know, he was gifted. And then, and then he was anointed as well, later we'll see. And so today I want to concentrate on three scriptures. Two of them are forever linked, because one is a prophetic word from Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, and the other is Luke 4, basically 4, 18 and 19, and, and all that encompasses that. And then we're going to jump ahead and look at John 8, 1 through 12, which is the story of a woman caught in the act of adultery. And when I'm reading that Matthew 1, about Jesus coming to save us from our sins, and then I look at Matthew 1, 21, and then I look at John uh, 8, 1 through 12, a woman caught in the act of adultery is a perfect example of what the angel told uh, Joseph. He's going to save us from our sins. Is there any better example of that than this woman caught in the act of adultery? And so as we, I'll, start in, uh, I'll start in Luke 4, 14, and I'm going to read a little bit, and then I'll stop. And Jesus returned... And the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And it was the custom, as his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I was talking to Jason about it the other day. It's just like the mic drop, right, Jason? He's been waiting 30 years for this moment. But you gotta, if you backtrack, you can see just before that in the Bible that he was baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, why would God in the flesh need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Isn't he God? Well, yeah. But it proves that he was a man too is because just like everybody else, Jesus needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be anointed to preach the word. Now you'll read, we'll read and talk a little bit here about how Jesus taught and they loved the way he taught. But when he showed up that day after coming out of the desert for 40 days being tempted by the devil when he was full of the Spirit, it says he shows up back in Galilee, he shows back up in his hometown, he goes back to the same, he shows up at Praise Community Church just like, Pastor Jeff and Mark and we do all the time. Okay? Just as an example. And people came to hear him speak. But this time, he had a message for them because he was anointed and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And we'll go back and we're going to study this for a few minutes here. And he says he returned in the, in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. The message version says he was powerful in the Spirit. See, there's the change. And when you read back in, in Luke... You can see where he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he went full of the Spirit out into the desert where he was tempted. And he battled the the enemy and he defeated him because he was full of the Spirit. And then it says he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. And then he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and was his custom. Since an early age, right? There's a story in Luke 2 about Jesus being 12 years old and he gets separated from his family. And they're like, where is he? He must be at the back of the caravan. They go back to the back of the caravan. Well, we haven't seen Jesus in a day. Well, he's back. They can't find him. So Mary and Joseph leave the caravan. They head back to town. They go into the synagogue. And they're like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm in my father's house. And it says that he was 12, and he was listening, and he was talking, and they were impressed. And so you can see but it was his custom from at least age 12 all the way until he was age 30, right? We know that that was his custom to go to the synagogue, go to the temple. He went there. And then as he get older, it says he taught. Okay, so he's setting them up. So they, they, they've known that he's, he knows the word, the Old Testament, and he's teaching them. And he taught there before, but by this time he was full of the Holy Spirit. And like I wrote here, when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you will preach the word with boldness too. It doesn't have to be from a pulpit. It could be in a hospital room. It could be to your kids around the dinner table. Preaching the word with boldness is what we should do as Christians. Some of us have a platform to preach it out here, but everyone has a platform to preach or teach or show God's word with boldness. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus had to be, it's going to pour out of you. And then it says, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written. Now think about this. They they wanted to hear him, didn't they? Because just before that, for 40 days, he was in the desert. So they showed up probably for five Sundays in a row, and they hadn't seen Jesus. Where is he? He hadn't taught for 40 days. It said. and so when they realized that he was back in town, they're like, "This guy's probably got a good word for us. We're going to go hear him, right?" And he sh- he went. So they were they were listening. It says, and he and he and he picked up the scroll, and it says, and this is he 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 reads Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. They hand him the they hand him the they hand him the the scroll, he opens it up, and he reads. But he reads it a little differently because he has a line in there that I'll get to. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, which is freedom, recovery of sight to the blind, physical, we see he did that, right? Spiritual, people who can't see past themselves and in need of a Savior. He says to set at liberty those who are oppressed, which is a whole bunch of people back then, Physically, because of where they lived, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I love that the acceptable year of the Lord. I believe it says in some of the, some translation. He tells his hometown church who he is and why he came to Earth. He says, "I'm here to restore and I'm here to redeem." And all you've ever heard about, and this this prophet Isaiah said, that's me. And then he sat down. And then he says, "But you got to understand when he says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, you got to understand." And I I thought of these three things. There was the Day of Atonement, right? Every year, back in the Old Testament times, they would go to the Holy of Holies, and there would be the high priest, and they'd bring their sacrifice once a year, and he would atone for their sins for the next year. Never really got rid of the sins, but he atoned for them, correct? So then if you read in Deuteronomy 15, there was the sabbatical year, and every seven years, you had your debt canceled, okay? And then if you read in Leviticus 15, 25, 8 through 12, on the 50th year was the year of Jubilee, where slaves were set free, family, land was restored to the original owner, families were reunited, oppression was broken. So what did Jesus tell him here when he says, I come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the acceptable year of the Lord? He says, I've come to bring Jubilee all the time, 24, 7, 365, right? That's what he's telling them. The day of atonement was good. The sabbatical year, better. The year of Jubilee, that's pretty good, but man, you had to struggle for 49 years. And if you died somewhere along that 49 years, you never really were free for some people. And Jesus says, I'm taking all that, putting it over here, and I'm gonna say, you're free now, once and for all. And that's why I'm here. And he says, and that's why he says, I came to, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he says, he rolled up the, the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. Do you realize back at, at that time, like when, when Jeff preaches, if he was to preach like in the temple, he'd come up and he would read a word. And then he would sit down. And I would sit, and then he would teach. And there would be discussion. Okay, That's how they used to do it. For somewhere along the line in tradition, we stand up here. It must have been somewhere where we felt they they took a pastor or a preacher and they made him stand. If you go to some churches, right, he walks up this big high staircase and he's way up above the people. Like, That's what they used to do, right? They were just lording over him. But it wasn't like that when Jesus, and in the Old Testament times, they sat down and they taught from the scripture they read and they talked about it. And so in the natural, that's why he sat down. Now when you read some of these commentaries about what I'm going to talk about, people try to add to it. Like there's a scholar said that he sat down in the seat that was reserved for the Messiah. So apparently in, this, in, this, in the temple, there was this seat that no one ever sat in and it was reserved for the Messiah. So what some scholars said, and I have no proof of this, I'm just reading some stories, but it's a good story. He says Jesus was in one seat, got up to speak, and then he went and sat over here and he says in the Messiah seat, what you just heard is fulfilled today. You know? And that's why they got mad. I don't know about that. I can't prove that. Personally, I don't know, maybe Pastor Jeff could explain that someday. But I'm just saying that's what some scholars say. But to me, it doesn't really matter. He just sat down like he normally did, and he said, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Shortest sermon in the history of mankind. That was his sermon. He, t- he read the word, he sat down, and he told them this happened. I'm here. And all these people in the synagogue and the temples, they knew what the Bible said. They knew that the Messiah was coming. They knew who it was. He was going to be some big, kingly guy, like six foot eight, coming on a white horse with a crown on his head. That's, you know, that's what they're thinking, right? But what's their response to him? Man, all spoke well, and they marveled at the gracious words, and they said this, is this not Joseph's son? So right away it's like, what's he talking about? How can, how can he be the Messiah? How can he fulfill this, what he says, when well, he's just a carpenter's kid, or a carpenter, son of Joseph from a small town. That's, there's no way the Savior can come out of that. And so he, he lets them have it a little bit for their unbelief. Because basically what they're talking about is unbelief. In the Message Bible it says, but they also said, isn't he Joseph's son? And he proclaimed to be more than Joseph's son, did he not? You know, For 30 years when he taught in the temple he was Joseph's son. He was Mary's son. But today, he was proclaiming, I'm God. I'm here to save you from your sins. And then he spoke, and they all spoke well of him, like he said. you said. And know, it's funny because when I became a pastor, and actually when I became a Christian, I go back to my, my uh, Wisconsin-Eau Claire, my University Hockey alumni game, and people find out that I'd, I'd been born again. I was a Christian, I changed my life. And then as I got into doing youth ministry... And then I became a pastor. You know what their question is? Isn't that Mark Hicks, the hockey player? You know, everyone has that experience. Isn't that Jason? Didn't he just used to work at some, like, paper company? You know, everyone has that. Isn't that just Rick Haas? Isn't he just a chiropractor? See, everybody has that doubt from somebody else when they look at you. And you're like, no, I'm the son of God. I'm the, not the son of God. That would be crazy if I said that. <laughs> I'm a child of God, is what I want to say. Yeah, scratch that. Delete that from the record. Uh, I'm a child of God. and see. So people, the biggest problem we have is like in my own family is like, seriously? You're born again? You want to leave that job to go be a pastor? Are you nuts? Do you know what you're doing? There's so much doubt in your own family, right? I bet you people out here, the most people you butt heads with when you became a Christian following after the Lord is your own family. Jesus had the same problem. And then his own town people is like, I mean, nothing got done in miracles there compared to anywhere else. They just didn't believe in him because they couldn't see past who he was. And that's the problem that many Christians have. They listen to the doubts and the lies and the accusations, the condemnation of other people, and they can't see past who other people say they are when you are something bigger and mightier. And that's what Jesus was telling these people. I'm more than Joseph's son. I'm here. And they all spoke well of him. And then he he just lays into him and he says, Doubtless you will quote me. This physician, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown. See, they're doubting him. Well, so if you're the son, start doing some miracles. And he's already like, man, I can't do anything here because you guys don't believe. And then he said, truly I say to you, he's going to drop a truth bomb on him here. No prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. So he goes through the Old Testament and, and, lists, and lists all the unbelief that the Israelites had at certain times and God used other people. That's what he says, and he's basically telling them, um, you know, all their fault, all the from the line. He says, "I don't, I, I, I understand why you don't believe me because this is par for the course for all these people in Israel for a long time." It says there was in Syria, uh, there was lots of lepers, but only Naaman, a Syrian, was healed. He wasn't even Israelite. And then when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Man, they were mad at him. Earlier they were intent, their eyes were fixed on him. Jesus has got a word for us. But they just didn't want to hear that word. And he called them out. And so they took him to a brow of a hill and they were going to chuck him off. You know, right above his town. It was amazing because I look back in in the beginning of of Luke 4. It's like the devil took Jesus up on a hill and he says, Hey, I'll give you all this stuff if you just bow down and serve me. And so it's amazing to me that they take him up on the hill, these other people, and they want to throw him off right, and so, and, they, and so, but they couldn't do it because it wasn't his time, and he, and by passing through their midst, he went away, and when he went away, he went to some different towns, and it says they were astonished at his teaching, he possessed authority, he, he healed people, he had demons come out of people, and I love this great line in, in, in verse 34, it says, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God, I mean, even the, even the demons knew who he was, you know, the religious people, their blinders on, they refused to see who he was. And they rebuked him, says, be silent and come out. I just thought, when I read that uh, last night, be silent and come out of him, he's talking to the demons. It was just like Pastor Jeff said last week, when he talked to Satan, you just tell him to sit down and shut up. You know, same thing. Zip it. I'm not gonna listen to your accusations anymore. This is what Jesus is saying. He's taking authority, because he's filled with the Holy Spirit, over these, the enemy right there. He's speaking to it. Don't speak about all your problems. Speak at your problem. Go in the name of Jesus. We have authority and power as believers. And this is what Jesus was doing. He was using his authority. Because it goes on to say in verse 36, For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. We are powerful and we have authority. When we use Jesus' name, unclean spirits must come out. Bodies must line up. That's the authority and power we have. So what does he do? He he rose and he left that synagogue and he entered Simon's house where his mother-in-law had a high fever. He rebuked the fever. He spoke to it. He took authority. He spoke to that storm and it had to be calm. He spoke to that mountain and it had to be moved. And these stories are testimonies to what Jesus proclaimed in verse 18 and 19. He was doing what he was born to do. That's what he was doing. The thing is, Jesus left us with that power. When he ascended, he says, "I gotta go, but I'm giving you my power for you guys to do the same things I did." That gives me courage. It gives me strength. It gives me hope that I'm just not bumping around. You know, I'm not up to my eyes in a storm of water. I can I, I get picked back up and put in the boat and put my head on a cushion, like Pastor Jeff said, and be relaxed. And know when I go through a storm, because I worship and praise God, because I am a child of God, I can be set free. And think about it. Then it goes on to say, now when the sun was setting, he, when the sun was setting, is important because he's doing all this in one day. And that means when the sun was setting is the Sabbath was almost over and he's doing this all on the Sabbath, which probably made people really happy back then too. He, it says, he had many who were sick with various diseases brought to them and he laid his hands on everyone and healed them. And Jesus only did what, the will of the Father. He was doing what he said he would do in Luke Four, eighteen, and 19. He was doing what he was born to do. And it goes on to say in verse 41, and demons came out of a, man, of a man crying, you are the son of God. There again, they knew who he was. And rebuked him and would not allow him to speak. See, don't allow Satan to speak into your life or your situation. Rebuke the devil, resist him, and he must flee. It says that in James. That's what Jesus did. Just sit down and zip it. You ever done that to the enemy? You're sitting there and you're just like, and you're just rattled. Like pretty soon you're like, So far gone and you're mad at the kids or your wife or your husband and you're just having a terrible time and it's like, how did I get here? Stop. Sit down and shut up, Satan. You don't have any authority in my life. You might look like you're crazy, but you're not crazy. It's true. We don't take authority as Christians sometimes and we have all the authority in the world to speak life into our lives. And he goes on to say in verse 42, he was so overwhelmed and packed with people, but he says this. In verse 43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns. He was proclaiming once again what he was come to do, proclaim the good news, to set the captives free, to open blind eyes, to heal the sick, to allow us to have that right relationship with Father God. That's what he was born to do. I love it. And he went, it says in verse 44, and preached in the other synagogues. He just kept going. He just kept going and he went right into the heart of the religious people and he told them the truth and then he just kept doing it. Signs and wonders followed Jesus. When the word is preached under the, anointing, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, signs and wonders are going to follow. It's going to happen. He says that he's healed them all. So we go to John 8, about the woman caught in the act of adultery. And this is a perfect example of what Jesus came to do. If you read Matthew 121, he talks about saving the world from its sins, and then you read what Jesus proclaimed in Luke 4, 18 and 19. John 8, the woman caught in the act of adultery, lines up perfectly. It's a perfect example of why Jesus came. It says, early in the morning, this is verse 2, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placed her in the midst. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law... Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? They said this to test him, that he might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And they continued to ask him. He stood up and said to them, Let him without sin cast the first stone. Let him without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her, it says in my, version, my translation. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when, he, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning from the older ones, and Jesus, Jesus was left alone with the woman standing alone before him. He stood up and said to her, woman, where are they now? Has no one condemned you? And, and, he, and she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go now and sin no more. And he says in verse 12, again, he spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Man, what a great scripture. So much in there when you look about it. One of my favorite parts of the scripture, because you know how my mind works sometimes, is like, what were these scribes and Pharisees doing? Why weren't they in the temple hearing the word of God? They're out rounding up people. That's what they're doing. It's like they just, when, you know, when I leave my house in the morning, I take my phone, my car keys, my book bag. These guys, like, they would take, like, I got to take my rock with me. Like, we might, you never know who we might run into today. We might have to stone somebody. Seriously, that's what I think they were like. Everywhere they went, they had, like, a rock with them. Like, Just in case. You never know who we might get today that we're going to have to stone somebody. It's like that's their, that was their first, that, that was their, their attitude. Their attitude was about just not, no mercy, punishment, you know. And that's as Christians in the church here. Our attitude should be about the mercy and the grace. Leave our stones at home, right? The world's, The world out there is chucking enough stones at everybody. We don't need the Christians picking up stones and chucking with them, right? And so it's amazing when, I just think about that. These guys were just always ready. Like, they had one. And you never know. They're just like turning around with their head on a swivel. Like, I'm just ready to throw a rock at somebody. Who's going to mess up today? We can't be like that. And so he says, the teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery. And he says, now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? And so See, they're basically saying to Jesus, he's in the middle of his his teaching, and he says, look, and these guys show up, and they say, look what we found. We found a real sinner. Someone who has done so wrong, what are you gonna do about it, Jesus, right? They're trying to trick him. And so they they said this to test him, and that they might have some charge to bring against him, because if he was a follower of the law, they weren't out of question. They were following the law. But they also knew what Jesus had been preaching, and they're like, well, okay, he can't do this because he's been preaching love and mercy and healing people. He's not killing people, he's healing people. So somewhere they're trying to trick him to mess up so that they catch him somehow. And so they and they tested and so excuse me here for a minute. And so they said, so then he says, uh, they said this to test him, and Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. What do you think he wrote? Is that the mystery of all time? Once again, I was reading some commentaries of some scholars, and one guy said, well, I think he wrote Jeremiah 17, 13, which says, those who turn away will have their names written in the earth. I don't need to know what Jesus wrote. If I do some just thinking, I'm guessing he was like, this is just my own idea, okay? You can have your own. He just maybe like, he's looking there, and he's like, there's, there's Larry, there's, there's Johnny, there's Susie, there's uh, Susie, she committed adultery once and, you know, whatever. He's writing these people that are down there accusing people and he's, he's writing down their sins, right? Whatever, that's just my own thought. I don't know what he wrote. Maybe he wrote a grocery list, you know. On the way home, I mean, he's a carpenter, right? On the way home, I got to pick up some nails. I need it, my level broke, you know. Who are these people? I don't know, but you know Jesus. But Jesus is, whatever he wrote was important because it's, it's, it's in the Bible twice, right? But we don't know what he wrote. I'd like to think that he wrote their sins down one time and then the next time when we read he wrote down mercy and grace or something like that. And so they, so he bent down and he wrote with his finger and they continued to ask him. So they're still badgering him. Give us an answer. Give us an answer. And he stood up and said to them let him who is without, without sin among you be the first to throw a stone. See he answers the con- their condemnation of this woman with a challenge. He speaks into, the, into their heart and the word it convicted them. Check yourself. If you are free from sin, fire away. That's what the word will do. These guys weren't believers, they weren't followers of Christ. So when that word comes, it can convict you. Many people as, as, as non-believers, you were convicted by the Holy Spirit, and that led you into repentance, into salvation. They had their chance here. So that word from the Lord convicted them. And then he bent down once again and he wrote again on the dirt. What do you write? I don't know, you guys just think about it. Maybe we should have a writing contest to see what he wrote on there and pick the best one. I, I just think he just was like, the first time he's writing the law down there, you know, and he wrote all the laws on the ground and then as he gets up, he kicks his sandal and he wipes it out and the next time he, writes, he gets down there, he writes mercy, grace, love, forgiveness, whatever. And it's just, to me, it's just the reason why he writes it two times is because sometimes we online, we're gonna go, he's telling these people, we're no longer bound to the law. I've come for something much more. I'm here for mercy and grace. Just like, I, like you said, I'm here to set the captives free. I'm here to save a woman caught in the act of adultery. This lowly person that you guys think is the scum of the earth, I'm here to prop her up right along next to you guys with all what you've done. And so they went away, one by one, it says, from the oldest to the youngest. Amazing, right? The oldest people are probably like, man... Yeah, I guess I've had a few sins in my life. I better just... But they were convicted. And somewhere, God touched them. Jesus touched them. His words touched them. And at that time, they had a heart check. It's a reminder that through the accusations and all the condemnation, the only voice you need to listen to is Jesus. And the accuser will be silenced. She's there in the midst, they say. And they're going to throw rocks at her. And he says, no. No. And when they heard it, they went away one by one. And Jesus Jesus was left alone standing with the woman. He says to her, woman, are they, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says something really great. No one, Lord. Remember back and earlier in the scripture? Teacher. We've caught this woman in the act of adultery. They hadn't seen him as Lord. They only saw him as a good teacher. And she says, Lord. Lord, no one is here to condemn me. There's the difference. When we realize Jesus is Lord and we go to him and he's Lord of our life, that's because we've accepted him. But the people back then were still calling him teacher at times because they hadn't accepted him for who he was. They couldn't see past him as just a teacher. Jesus is more than a teacher. Did he not say to the disciples one time, who do you think I am? And they gave him some answers. You're a teacher, you're this, that. Well, who do you think I am? We think you're the Christ. There's the difference. By using the name Lord. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what she did. She simply called on the name of the Lord. And what happens to her? He he says, there's no one Lord. And he says, "Neither neither do I condemn you. Go from now and sin no more. Set free. Redeemed. Made whole. She calls on the Lord. He sets her free. She's in a bad storm there. Any other day, any other temple, she's dead, right? But she's there in the presence of God Almighty, and he speaks life into her, and she's set free. And not only is she set free, his words, I believe there's some other people there, set free as well. They dropped their stones, and they went home. They had a check. Whatever happened to this woman, I wonder? I don't know. It'd be interesting to see who it was. Maybe it's the lady... In the Bible, here that we see later in life, and and, you know, that we hear some different names throughout the New Testament of women. Maybe it's it's her. We don't know. But we do know at this time she called on the Lord and she was set free because Jesus in Luke 4 says, I've come to proclaim, set the captives free, to heal up the brokenhearted, to set at liberty, to set the oppressed free. To open blind eyes. This is what he did. So I can't think of, I mean, there's tons of examples in the Bible, but to me, a better example of why Jesus came to earth. When he told Joseph in a dream that you need to call him Jesus because he's going to save the people from their sins, you could go right to the scripture and say, that's exactly what he did. His name is Jesus, and he just saved this woman from her sins. And the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery, no different than what you and I have gone through our whole lives. There was one time in our life where we were caught in sin as unbelievers and we were dead. We were under judgment because until we find that time where we confess Jesus Lord, when Jesus comes back, we're in trouble. When we call on the name Lord, when we call on the name Jesus, and we get in that right relationship with Father God, we're just like this woman. Nor nor do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. It's because the weight of that condemnation has been lifted off her, lifted off of us as believers, that we can walk out of our sin. It's when we pick up stones and try to keep people down in their sin is where they stay. It's our condemnation from people towards people that keep people trapped at times. When someone feels like they're no good and never going to get it right and they've been told that their whole life and we remind them of that, they're trapped there. It's just like picking up a stone and letting them have it. But Jesus says, no. I've come here to do something new. I've come here to set the captives free. And that is us. So Jesus came to breathe life into his people, not to condemn. I wish I had better writing. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus was born to save and his word saved this woman. The enemy Satan has no legal right to you. He can accuse you, but your advocate Jesus goes before you and he pleads on your behalf. He did it for this woman and he'll do it for each of us. John 3.17 would be a lie from the pit of hell if we didn't believe that he didn't come to condemn us. And then he went and went along and condemned this woman. He says, God so loved the world that he sent his only son and whoever believes in him shall have everlasting life, and will not be condemned. He says, I didn't come for that. Romans 8, 1 says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul's preaching that. People can't condemn you. They can try to condemn you. Satan can try to condemn you, but he can't. And then he says in, in verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now I think back to the story in the with the Israelites when they're going through the desert and they follow a, a light. It's just like it was God going before them. And the difference now is when Jesus came and we receive him after his death and resurrection and we receive him and we believe that, there's no light out here to follow. He's put it on the inside of us. He says the light of life is on the inside of you. That's what I came to do. The reason why I was born in a manger 2,000 years ago is so I could grow up and go through these things for you a perfect spotless lamb, be sacrificed once and for all and be set free. And then when you receive the Holy Spirit, I'm going to plant my life on the inside of you. So you never have to be in the dark anymore. It may be look dark out here, but you've got the light in here. The word of God is a light into our path, right? It lights our path. Everywhere we go, there's going to be darkness. But the light of life lights our path. Jesus' birth was foretold. He needed to be born. I'm just going to summarize here and finish up. It happened. It was the first step in redemption. It was now, it's now finished. You possess the keys to the kingdom of God. Think about that. Through Jesus' birth, death, resurrection, and ascension, he gave us back the keys to the kingdom. Do you realize when Jesus died that Satan was throwing a party in hell? Think about this. He's down there thinking he's won, Right? And what happens? There's a knock on the door. They open the door, and it's Jesus. And he says, I've come for something. You know, for Cali, I was thinking that, you know, they are probably down there doing the Macarena. Because can you think of any other place that that dance was invented? (laughs) You know, they're just having a good old time. I mean, I, I I like to mess around, but it's like Satan thought he had won. And there's a knock on the door at the gates of hell. And they open up the gates, and it's Jesus. He literally went into the depths of hell and took the keys of the kingdom that Adam and Eve lost. And he, and and there was no battle, there was no wrestling match. He just Satan just had to go like this, drop him in his hand, and then he took him back and he ascended. And when he comes, when he, and when he ascended into heaven, and when we receive Jesus as our Lord, he's like he takes those keys and he drops them in your hand, the keys to the kingdom, the keys to power. The keys to authority. That, that good news in 4, he says, where I've come to proclaim all these good things. That's us. And we have the same power to proclaim those as well. Like we saw in Matthew one twenty one, Jesus came to save people from their sins. He also came to set us free in all areas of our life. To transfer all authority and power of heaven itself to you and to me. And that is the victory worth sharing and celebrating this Christmas. Amen? what other better ways just to remind yourself of what Jesus did for you by taking communion? So when we close in worship today, if you want to come up, if you're a believer in Christ, take a cracker, dip in the juice, and just thank God for sending His Son. Because it's through His birth that set the stage for us to be born again. And there's no better relationship than the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. If you're not a believer, you need to be one. It's time. Because what Jesus left out when he preached in Luke 4:18 and 19, what he left out of Isaiah 6, 1 and 2 was this line in there about vengeance. He says, i come to proclaim the good news. I've come to set the captives free. And he sat down. But if you read in, if you read in Isaiah 6, 1 and 2, there's a line in there that says, because Isaiah says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then the next line says, and the day of the vengeance of our God. The reason why Jesus sat down before he read that is because we are in the grace period right now. There will be a day when Jesus shows up and if you haven't confessed him as Lord, that will be the day of the vengeance of the Lord and you've missed out. And that's why he sat down because he wasn't here the first time he came to earth to bring vengeance. sat down. He came to set the captives free and that's what he's going to do for you and me. If you're already a believer, you've been set free. Take communion today, wherever you're at, and to say, Father God, I thank you that you set me free. I thank you that you've bound up my broken heart. I thank you that you opened my blind eyes. Just thank them. Amen? Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.